Hey guys, welcome back to Vetsplanation Staff Edition. So I actually did this whole podcast already and then realized that it was messed up. So I have to do the whole thing over again. So I'm sorry this is late, but I did want to get it out to you before we have the heat stroke patients come in. Today, like I said, we're going to be doing heat stroke. So heat stroke is a serious condition that can occur in pets when their body temperature rises above normal range. Normal is usually anywhere between 99.5 to 102.5. So when above temperature outside is really high or the humidity is really high, or just the fact that pets can't get rid of heat effectively. It's important to note that dogs and cats are particularly susceptible to heat stroke because they don't sweat as effectively as like humans do. They rely on panting to cool down, which really isn't enough in hot weather. Who is at risk for this? All animals of any age are at risk for heat stroke. There are some pets that are at higher risk for heat stroke, though. The first group that we usually talk about is called the brachycephalic pets. This means that we have pets who have short noses or short muzzles. The most common brachycephalic animals that come to mind are going to be bulldogs, Frenchies, pugs, and Persians. They get a special syndrome that's called brachycephalic syndrome. This is where the tissue of their throat starts to swell and it causes them not to be able to breathe, which also increases the amount of heat that's generated in their body, which then can unfortunately lead to death. Overweight and elderly pets are at risk too because they have to use more muscles in order to be able to pant, which makes more heat. And then patients who suffer from heart disease because their heart is being overworked trying to get rid of a lot of that heat. And then dogs who have laryngeal paralysis or collapsing trachea. I believe that was episode 30, I think, for collapsing trachea, which you can go back and listen to, which is basically where the airways cannot open up enough for that heat to escape. Thick-coated and dark-coated dogs are at high risk as well. So dark-coated dogs absorb more heat while thick-coated dogs will keep their heat trapped under their fur. All right, let's talk about how pets get heat stroke. You would think that it would just be from being out in the heat, right? So it's not quite right. So there are actually two ways to get heat stroke. The first one and most common one is called non-exertional heat stroke, meaning that they're not exerting their self or not exercising to overheat. So these are the pets that are exposed to really high temperatures in the environment without a way to cool down. So think about pets who are like locked in a parked car or cats who get into dryers. The second is called exertional heat stroke. This is where exercise actually causes them to have a heat stroke. This typically occurs when a pet has not gotten used to an environment and then exercises vigorously. So greyhounds, they've actually been checked after running the track and have been found to have temps of 107 without having heat stroke because their body was already used to it. But let's say though they have a Husky that's from Alaska who runs races and they move to Florida during the summer where it's hot and humid and the owner runs them in a race there. They may have been able to run the race in Alaska just fine because the temperatures were cooler, it wasn't as humid, but then in Florida where it's hotter and humid and the dog hasn't gotten used to it, that dog would get heat stroke. Even though that temperature is not very hot, it could get up to 100 degrees, 110 degrees. But 80 degrees is still too hot for that dog. All right, let's talk about the stages of heat stroke. There, there are actually four stages to heat stroke. The first is called heat stress. So we don't often see this, but basically it's where the body is just uncomfortable 
the temperature will still be normal, but the dog is just uncomfortable. The second stage is heat cramps. This is where the body's temperature will still be normal, but they're starting to become depleted of water. And sodium is a really important mineral that's essential for life. They tend to lose it with water though. And then the third stage is going to be heat exhaustion. And this is where we actually start to see some of our clinical signs. So you'll see that they're weak, they're ataxic, meaning they're wobbly. They may have collapse, and then their temperature will be either normal or just slightly elevated. Heat stroke, like true heat stroke, will be the fourth stage. And that is when there is dysfunction of the central nervous system, hypovolemia, and cellular dysfunction. So let's break those down now. Basically, there will be swelling of the brain, not enough fluid in their veins, so they're really dehydrated, and the cells of their body are starting to not work properly, which will lead to cell death, which will lead to death of parts of their organs. Right, so what are some of the signs of heat stroke? If somebody calls in, these are the things to look for. Some of the common signs are going to be excessive panting, drooling profusely, rapid heartbeat, vomiting, diarrhea, bloody diarrhea, lethargy, so not really wanting to move, and then collapse as well. If the owner has a thermometer, they should take the temperature rectally. And if the temperature is above 105, then we know that this is heat stroke. Remember, even in those first stages, it could still be normal, but they're on their way to heat stroke. So if they see those signs, they should get their pet out of that hot environment. Also, the other thing is if they do find that their pet's temperature is really high, they, like I said, one, get them out in the environment, two, put them into a cool shaded area and give them access to water. And they can also run water down the back of them to just help lower their body temperature. But tell them not to put towels on top of them. We'll go over why in just a little bit because it's really critical not to do that. We want to bring down the body's temperature because they've done a study that showed that about 17% of pets who were cooled before getting to the hospital still died. That's not as bad compared to 45% of them that were not cooled before getting to the hospital and did die. So we always want them to cool them down beforehand. Ideally, if they can get the body temperature, that would be great. But if not, still cool them down, still get them to the hospital. So it's super critical for them to make sure they get to the hospital any hospital, ours, any hospital, but just to make sure that there's no serious organ damage, there can be serious organ damage that they just don't know about that can lead to death. We want to do diagnostics to make sure that pet is okay. How do we diagnose this? This is unfortunately just based off of history. So this is really important for the triage technician to get this history because I cannot tell you the difference between heat stroke and a fever. There's no way for me to tell that. Knowing that the pet has been in a really hot environment or really humid environment or was trapped in a car or accidentally trapped into a dryer, something like that will help us to be able to know how to treat this pet because we're going to treat fever and heat stroke very differently. We'll still usually do things like performing blood work and we do want to check that pet's clotting times. So make sure you get a full profile on them. We want to make sure that they are able to clot their blood because some point, usually over 105, they will get to a point where they cannot clot their blood. So we're going to talk about how to treat it. But before that, I just want you to understand like how the body cools itself. This is going to be really important. 
If you want to see the video, head to YouTube. There are four methods for the body to cool itself. So the first one is through evaporation. This is where the dog pants because the water is evaporating off the surface of the tongue, which is displacing that heat from the body into the environment. This works really well when the temperature reaches about 90, but it's not very efficient when it's humid. So if it's humid outside, all that moisture just stays on this, the tongue and it's not going to get rid of it. So the best way that we can support these animals through evaporation is just to let them pant. One of the things I often notice is that people will put a muzzle or a mask, like an oxygen mask over them. If they can't pant, then their body temperature is going to go up. If we put one of the oxygen masks over them and they can't open their mouth, then they're not going to be able to pant. So if you have a small dog, put a big oxygen mask over them. Or if you have a big dog, don't use the oxygen mask. You can use just flow by, just put it up to their mouth. Or the other way is that you can also put an ice pack into the oxygen mask and have them breathe in cold air as well. The second method is conduction. This is where you have transfer of heat from one object to another. The ways that we can help them with that is placing them on a cold surface. When we put them onto the grates of the wet tables, you can put cool water under there as well to help keep it cold. When we put them into a kennel, take out all of the bedding, just placing them on that cool kennel floor, that'll help as well. I see that people doing this all the time, and I bet you didn't know that you're actually like using the powers of conduction. For small dogs too, you can also fill up a cat litter box and put the put cold water in there and then put a bag over that, like a trash bag, and then put the pet in that because kind of like putting them in cold water, but we're not actually getting them wet. And that will help with the environment as well. The third method is called convection. This is where you have wind or air blowing over the pet. So it's going to be bringing off the hot air going over them. It's like dissipating into the environment, basically. This would be great for us putting a fan on them. Fans will help to be able to just blow off all of that heat. And then lastly, radiation. This is where the heat dissipates into the environment because the patient is in a cold environment. So heat is going to radiate off into the direction of our cold air. This is not very effective when the pet is in a hot environment because because obviously if it's hotter here, then the heat is going to go down to the pet. So just something that we can do is making sure we have them in a cool environment. Except for small dogs, putting them in some sort of cold water bath. For, for bigger dogs, having the air conditioning up or placing them in a cool area. Some of the other things we can do is like I said, putting that ice pack in the, the oxygen masks for them to cool down the air. Putting them in oxygen and turning the cooling element on because that will also cool down the air. And then we can even put ice packs like in front of the fan to help make the cooler environment or putting ice packs near them. Try not to put it directly on them because we don't want them to get a burn. Treatment of our pets who have heat stroke, it usually involves obviously lowering the body temperature as quickly as possible. We do that through supportive care, administering IV fluids, providing them oxygen therapy. And then we also need to give medications to control certain things like if they start to have seizures. In some cases, pets will need to be hospitalized. It just really depends on how hot they are, how badly they were affected, how badly their organs were affected. But I would say a good majority of them, by the time they get to us, do end up having to be hospitalized. Now, I just want to talk about things that we don't want to do is like things like 
putting a wet towel over them. So if we put a wet towel over the body where it's trying to get heat off, it's trapping the heat between the wet towel and the patient. So we don't want to put wet towels over them because it's keeping all of their heat on their body. So we don't want to do that. Instead, you can wash them down with cold water, but then immediately dry them off. And then just with a towel real quick, throw that towel off, start putting fans and stuff on them. You can put cold towels under them. Keeping the cold towels under them will help because you still have a cold environment that they're trying to get heat from their body down to that cold environment. But putting it on top of them is not going to work well. We want to use every power that we can to be able to keep them as cool as possible. And that's going to include putting fans and stuff on top of them. All right. And then when they get to about 103, we want to stop um, that active cooling for them. If you cool them down too much, it actually like resets part of the brain and makes it to where their body goes even lower. So let's say you cool them down to 101. You're like 101 is normal body temperature. But if you cool them down that low, their brain resets itself and then it's going to drop them down to 96. So we don't want to do that because now you're trying to heat up a patient who has heat stroke, right? We don't want to do that. So ideally we want to get down to 103 or 103.5, somewhere in that range, and then stop the cooling. You still put like a towel over them so they don't lose so much heat. You could take the ice packs off. You can turn the fan off, like doing all of those things so that they stop losing all of that heat. But ideally, we don't want to warm them back up because we're like giving more heat to a dog that already had heat stroke. All right, so let's talk about how we treat heat stroke in pets. So treatment of heat stroke. Right, let's talk about some of the things to watch out for. So when we're treating them, you want to look for things like really bloody diarrhea, looking for petechia. So that's going to be like the little bruising on their lip, on the inside of their lips or on their abdomen or in the inguinal area. It could be little red spots or it can be bruises, either one. You can also be looking for things like really bloody urine or changes to the pet's mental status. Looking at their eyes, their pupils could be two different sizes. So the black part of their eyes, pupils, two different sizes. You might see a pet start head pressing, so pushing their head up against a kennel or just suddenly becoming unresponsive. We need to know about all of those changes because we need to do things very quickly to change that in order to make them have a good prognosis rather than a really bad prognosis if we just allowed that to keep going. And then if you see signs of brain trauma, some of the things to do is keep them in oxygen and then elevate their head up to about a 30 degree angle so that they're just kind of like this. You don't want to do the whole head like this because then you have this less oxygen getting to the side of their brain from this side. So we want to make sure the whole body is at a 30 degree angle. So that way the head is up. And then we'll start giving things like mannitol and hypertonic saline. They both try to decrease the fluid in the brain. So they're just like taking out that excess fluid and putting it into their body so that they'll pee it out hopefully. And then getting them nutrition is really important as well. Ideally, if we can put in a feeding tube or placing a nasogastric tube, I mean, it goes from the nose down to the stomach, that's going to be important because it's going to help with the GI tract. A lot of times the GI tract is like sloughing, so the intestines are sloughing the inside. And we want to try to help stop that by coating it with food. That's the best way to help stop that. 
We may need to do a plasma transfusion for pets who have really elevated clotting factors. So meaning that they cannot clot their blood, we're going to need to give them those clotting factors back, which is what we're doing when we give plasma. They also get something called MODS. So it's multiple organ dysfunction syndrome. This can occur wherein they're in the hospital, which is a grave prognosis. That means that multiple organs are failing. But the more on top of it we are with these guys, the more likely they are to survive. Unfortunately, sometimes you do everything right and they still die. And what is their prognosis? So part of this depends on how high their temperature was to begin with. At 105, you have a possibility of seizures. At 109, there's significant organ damage and the mortality rate, essentially like how likely they are going to die, goes up. When the temp gets up to 120, which I don't even think our thermometers go to, that is when cell structures die and the prognosis is grave. So they will likely die even with medical intervention. They also have found that in people that about 20% of heat stroke victims do have permanent brain damage. And that's just not something that we can evaluate in our pets. We have to assume that we likely have the same thing happen in animals. Now, how do we prevent heat stroke? Talking to the owners about not leaving their pets in the car, avoiding strenuous exercise when they're really hot or it's humid outside, giving pets access to shade when they're outside. If they've just moved here, having them wait about 60 days to do exercise because that's about how long it takes for the body to start to acclimate to the environment. Not exercising them on a really hot day, like those days that we had really cold days and then suddenly it was like 90 degrees. That's not a good day to exercise them because they've not acclimated to it. Keeping or offering the pets water breaks frequently, avoiding walks during the hottest times of the day. So trying to do it during the morning rather than during the evening or afternoon. Keeping the pets inside during times of high heat and humidity. And just overall making sure that they have access to shade and water when they're outside. All right. I think that's all for my heat stroke. Sorry, I had to do all this again. So it's a little bit hard for me to remember if I went over the information or not. But I will tell you my funny story real quick. This is related to heat strokes. <laughs> but my ducks, when it was really hot out, I went to go put their water out there. I gave them their pool and then I had forgot to put the step back in there for them. And so two of them were able to get out, but one of them was not able to get out. My wife came in and she was holding a duck and she was like freaking out. And I was like, what, what is happening? What's wrong? She's like, you forgot to put the step back in and Wilma couldn't get out and she was waterlogged. So ducks have this natural like water repellent. It's like a grease that they have on them. They have this little gland like on their back and it excretes this grease, which they put all over their body and that waterproofs them. But it had been super muddy because it had just been raining. So they didn't have any, they didn't put any of the stuff on themselves. And then they got into the water and then Wilma couldn't get out. So she was just standing with her head above the water, like trying to like breathe and not drown while she was waterlogged. So we dried her off, got her warmed up, and then we were going to keep her inside for the day because I felt bad. It was like, let's warm her up and just keep her in the house. And then we'll send her back out afterwards. My wife put her in the little cat kennel, the crate. And then put that in the living room, which the dogs just didn't really mess with. One of the cats went up to her and that was about it. 
but she meant to put her into our bedroom so that the dogs couldn't get to her while she went to go pick up my daughter. When she came back, she had seen that the kid was no longer where it was. It was like behind the couch and Matza was bleeding everywhere, like just blood all over her face. And my wife was freaking out, like trying to figure out where the duck was. And then my daughter was getting sick at the same time. So she went to go help my daughter. And then my son went to go find the duck. And my son was like, the duck is in the carrier. And my wife was just, I'll deal with the dead duck later. And my son was like, no, the duck is alive. The duck is alive. But Matza had chewed holes, multiple holes into the cat carrier trying to get to this duck. That's her nature, right? That's what labs do is they, they go after ducks. <laughs> so you can't fault her for doing what her natural instincts tell her to do, but it was quite chaotic. Luckily, the duck was okay and it was able to go back out to the water later that evening. But I felt so bad for this duck. Like first it almost drowned and then it's almost eaten by a Labrador. Poor duck. Poor Wilma. All right, guys. If you have any questions, as always, please feel free to email me, text me, find me in the hallway. I'll answer your questions. Also, if you have any ideas that you want me to do, I always take requests. So just let me know. All right. Thank you, guys.